Hello and welcome back to our study of the names of Jesus. We are looking at all the different aspects of who Jesus is for us and what he means to the world by looking at the ways he's referred to in Scripture. And there are many of them. There are plenty of, of ways to understand him. This morning we're going to talk about, well I say morning, wherever you are, I don't know what time it is. It's morning as I record this here um, uh, in my home in Monroe, Wisconsin. But we're going to look at Jesus, our high priest. And this is a really important one. And it touches on a lot of really important theology uh, in our relationship with God. Uh, this is kind of an exciting one, but I don't think we think of priests in an exciting way. Um, because when you think of a priest, you think of something kind of strange. You think of someone maybe in, in a specific kind of robe or regalia. Uh, you think of a, an official of a church. You think of someone who oversees a congregation uh, or is a part of a larger body. Because, and particularly in our faith tradition, we don't really talk about priesthood a lot because that's, that's those people, right? They have their priests. They have their, um, their people. And so we, we, it's kind of a strange thing to us, uh, at least if you've come from the Restoration uh, congregations. You come from the Restoration churches like the Churches of Christ independent Christian churches, things like that. We don't, we don't talk a lot about priests. So what is, what is a priest? Well, what does that mean? Well, we got to go back to the Old Testament first. We've got to go way back to the beginning and see exactly what a priesthood was. Um, God established a priesthood, and it was from a certain tribe. Remember, there were, there were 12, well, there were different tribes at different times, but we think of 12 tribes, and there was the tribe of Levi, and it was out of the tribe of Levi that the priests would come. And not just from the tribe of Levi, but really from certain families in the tribe of Levi. Uh, they would serve uh, in the uh, religious roles. They would serve in the spiritual roles, the, the tribe of Levi. They were the priestly tribe established by the law. So when it, come, when it came to the temple, uh, caring for all things in the temple and in the temple property, it was the Levites going into the temple were the Levites. Uh, offering the sacrifices were the Levites. But not only that, uh, it, you had to be part of the right kind of Levite because there were some rules about who could go and who couldn't go into the temple and particularly into certain parts of the temple. If you had any kind of physical deformity or ailment, you weren't allowed to go in. So if you if you lost your uh, big toe in a, in a farming accident, sorry. If you had a scar on your face, sorry. If you suffered from some form of disability, and we see Jesus healing people, by the way, um, uh, in and around the temple, and then they were allowed to go in and participate with, with uh, the people and with God, in a sense, they would not have been allowed in because of their ailment previously. So that makes that all the more important. So you had to be a part of the right tribe, you had to be a part of the right family, and you had to be free from any deformity and any physical um, deficiency of any kind they, the, the priests, what they did is they stood between God and the people. Because God, God is something unlike us. And we are not fit for him. Uh, we are sinful creatures. So um, on the prescribed days, at the prescribed times, the priests would enter into the temple. They would perform religious ceremonies and duties. And then the high priest, okay, we got another, another level now, the high priest would then go into the most holy place 
where the Ark of the Covenant was, and he would offer a sacrifice for the people and sit at the mercy seat and encounter God. And he would be with God in a special way on behalf of the people. Why is all of this necessary? We don't do that today, so what changed? Well, this was all necessary because we're sinful. And even though we don't like that fact, it is true. God is not sinful. And yet somehow we have to meet him. How do we get to God? How do we get to meet him if we are not fit to be with him? Let's take a look at the book of Isaiah. And if you would, turn to Isaiah chapter 6 if you have your Bible. And if you don't have your Bible, you can pause this video and go find it. Uh, that's the wonderful thing about this form. Let's look at Isaiah chapter 6, beginning in verse 1. In the year of King Uzziah, in the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting upon a throne, high and lifted up, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Above him stood the seraphim, each had six wings. With two covered his face, with two he covered his feet, with two he flew. And one called to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. I love these scenes of the spiritual world where the angels are calling out praises to God. By the way, they're not calling out those praises because he demands praise for his ego. They're calling out praises because they can't help it. They can't help it. You know, there's a lot of things I really enjoy and I really think are great. But in, in large quantities, you begin to, you know, they begin to lose their luster a little bit. I'm a big, I'm a big fan of pie. I like pumpkin pie, but if I eat a whole pumpkin pie in one sitting, it's not as enjoyable as just one or two pieces. Um, don't ask me how I know. But uh, the, the God is so glorious, and the glory of God is so amazing, they can't help but call out praises, and they never get tired of it. And the foundations of the threshold shook at, at the voice of him who called, and the house was filled with smoke. And I said, Woe is me, for I am lost. For I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of people of unclean lips, for my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. Isaiah here recognizes God is something greater than, my, than me. He is beautiful, he is lovely, he is pure, he is righteous. And Isaiah says, I'm not. And the people I live around are not. Isaiah recognized very quickly something that we have to recognize. We are sinful people who are called to meet a sinless God. How can we make this possible? Well, God made it possible. In the Old Testament, the Old Law, he established an altar where we could meet him. And there were a lot of altars uh, and a lot of places where sacrifices were made as they were prescribed, but there was one in particular in the temple uh, where sacrifice was made for the atonement of sin. And here's the thing about that altar. I, I, we don't think about burnt offerings and sacrifice uh, the way it really was. When I, when I get meat close to fire, it's because I'm grilling or I'm smoking something uh, to, to eat. And it has a flavorful aroma, and it's seasoned well, and it's cooked properly. That is not what this was. The altar was not a barbecue pit. It was a place where you laid flesh and hair and bone, and you set it ablaze, and that smell is atrocious. And it is particularly atrocious after time goes by and what remains is still there because they were not allowed to clean off the altar. It was covered in hair and flesh and bone and blood that was burned 
and and uh, and sat out and left there over time to become rancid. There is something physical about that and something spiritual about that as well. We are meant to understand how disgusting sin is. And God wanted to remind the people how disgusting their sin was because the offering on that altar represented the disgusting nature of their sin. And the priest's life, because they were called to live righteous, pure lives, the priest's life was designed to remind people what holiness looks like. It's why they had special garments that they wore. This is a reminder. This is what sin looks like. This is what holiness looks like. That was how things were established. So again, we had the high priest, and he alone went into the most holy place to talk to God. Let's go to 1 Peter chapter 2, because, okay, that's the Old Testament, right? That's the old law. That's the high priest that, uh, that served in the temple. And this person stood between the people and God. He was the mediator between God and the people of their covenant. He went to God on the people's behalf, and he spoke to the people on God's behalf. Okay, now... Let's take a look at 1 Peter chapter 2, and we're going to begin in verse 9. What does this mean under the new covenant? He says, but you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people of his own possession, that you might, may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Wow. Remember when we were looking at the old law there, and we were looking at the Old Testament, Isaiah said, wow, I'm not fit to be in the presence of God. But Peter here says, hey, you've been chosen. You're part of a royal priesthood. It's not the Levites anymore. It's not a special family or a special person. It's all of us. We're all priests. As Christians, we all serve in a priesthood. We are made holy. We are possessed by God. We are, we are owned by him. And we are made to do so so that we can proclaim the glory of God and the power of the blood of his son. We're chosen. We're a royal priesthood. We're released from the temple. The temple is, is no more. That doesn't matter. And being perfect doesn't matter anymore because you are called to be a royal priesthood. We think of Sunday mornings as the most important time for Christians to gather, and yet it is not the most important thing we do. Sunday mornings, though very important, are a gathering of the priesthood. When you think about it in this context, all the priests are getting together to learn and to share and to encourage so that we can be fit to go back out and continue proclaiming the truth of the gospel. We are a priesthood. We are a called people. And we get to call people to God, to the cross, because of the cross. That's wonderful. That's wonderful to join in this royal priesthood. So that's important to know. This is all background here. We understand what the priests were in the Old Testament. We understand what the priests are today. It's us. So what is it about Jesus, and where does he fall in all of this? Well, see, blood the blood of Christ changed everything. Uh, now, God's regulation hasn't changed. Think about that. Well, I ask people, what do you see as the difference between the Old Testament and the New Testament in terms of God and his relationship with people? And a lot of folks will say, well, God was full of justice and wrath and vengeance in the Old Testament and full of grace and mercy and love in the New Testament, as if God underwent some sort of personality shift. No. The, all, of, all of the Old Testament was just designed to help us understand the New Covenant. You understand that. The, everything that happened in the Old Testament, 
all the law and the prophets and the, and the priests, all of that was designed so that God's people would have their hearts and minds shaped, ready to receive Jesus and for us to understand Jesus more fully. But the blood of Christ changes it. God's regulation for perfection still exists. He's still looking for purity and righteousness, but Christ makes us forgiven. And that means we don't have to worry about that anymore. Now, does that mean we have permission to go sin all we want? No. Does that mean that God doesn't care what we do? No. Obedience is still incredibly important, but obedience comes from the redeemed heart that truly appreciates and puts its faith in Christ. It doesn't come by the coercion of the law. God wants your heart. He doesn't just want your behavior. He wants a heart because that heart will follow after him and it will obey. Okay, so here we are, saved by the blood of Christ, washed clean, made pure, like priests, living under this new covenant. So where does Jesus fit in all this? Well, let's look back and think back. Remember, Abraham goes to sacrifice Isaac. He's commanded by God to sacrifice his son, his promised son, puts him on the altar. And as he is about to uh, do him in, the Lord stops him. And when it comes to what sacrifice they're going to place on this altar now, God says, I will provide. I will provide. And he did provide. And in that story, he provides a ram that is stuck in the brush and they sacrifice it. Interesting thing historically about that mountain that they went up on, that mountain is quite large. And centuries later, on that very mountain, there would be built a temple and a city surrounding it where sacrifices would occur. And also on other parts of that same mountain, that, that elevated area where Jerusalem was, near there is where Christ himself would be sacrificed. Isn't that kind of a beautiful uh, connection? That here we have this image of God providing the sacrifice in place of Isaac. And all those centuries later where the city of Jerusalem and the temple would sit and near there where Jesus himself would be offered as the provided sacrifice from God. Jesus fits in here as the high priest, as the one who stands between us and God. Now, we're all priests. We all get to engage in evangelism and in the religious actions of our Christian profession. We get to have a place at the table, a place in the temple. We get to go and proclaim and participate now instead of being shut out. But more than that, we also have a high priest. Remember, the high priest was the special priest. He got to go and do these really important things by talking to God and being with God. Let's look at the book of Hebrews, if you will. Just a few pages back from where we were in Peter. And in Hebrews, and by the way, I encourage you, if you're uh, going through our Bible lessons here on our website, uh, go and find our series on the book of Hebrews. Uh, I think that might be, I hate to rank them, but it's my favorite, and it might be one of the most important parts of all of Scripture because it will really put together the things of the Old and the New Testament and help you see Jesus more clearly. So Hebrews chapter 10, and uh, we'll go to verse 10. <coughs> Excuse me. Uh, verse 10. And by that will, we have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. And every priest stands daily in his at his service, offering repeatedly the same sacrifices which can never take away sin. But when Christ had offered for all time a single sacrifice for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God, waiting from the from that time until his enemies should become a footstool for his feet. All right, 
We got to put this in the context of Hebrews. The author is trying to uh, express to us that Jesus is a high priest and that he fulfills the duties and the legal requirements of the high priest. Now, he, he's contrasting that the, the sacrifices offered by the priests in the Old Testament were repeated all the time. In fact, a sacrifice for atonement was offered annually uh, by the high priest. And he says Jesus didn't have to do that. He, he made a sacrifice one time, and it saved everybody forever. And this part about he sat down at the right hand of God, that was a way of expressing the job was done. When, Pete, when you see in Scripture, and they sat down, they rested from their labor, the job was complete. It was finished. That was all he had to do. He's not getting back up to come offer another sacrifice. It's done. One was enough because Jesus is the perfect high priest. We'll go elsewhere in uh, Hebrews. Flip back a little bit to chapter 4. I love Hebrews chapter 4. Uh, let's go to verse 14. Since then we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God. Let us hold fast our confession. Let us be confident, in other words, of that which we profess. For we do not, verse 15, we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are yet without sin. All right. You read on in there, you'll see that the high priest, before they offered the sacrifice for the people, they had to go through a ceremony of asking forgiveness for their own sin. So the high priest had to first get rid of his own sin, and then he could offer sacrifice for the people. Jesus didn't have to do that. Jesus withstood the temptation of the world, went to the cross sinless and perfect, and offered a sacrifice strictly for us. That's what makes him a better high priest. That's what makes him the perfect high priest. That's how he fulfills that role and that duty and that priesthood. And we get to join with him in that. As believers baptized in the blood of Christ, we get to go and proclaim the gospel to the world on his behalf. We get to join in that story join in that journey and take great confidence from that fact. We think of judgment, judgment day sometimes. I've heard it expressed this way and I've even thought of it this way, like a trial. You're going to stand before God. You're going to testify to all the terrible things you've done and the devil's going to argue and then Jesus is going to argue. He's your defense attorney, right? No, that's really not what it's like. It's not what the Bible says. In fact, when we stand before God, Satan doesn't get to stand there. He's kicked out of the room because we're children of God through Christ. There's not a trial. There's not an argument. There's not uh, a jury or a judge to, to weigh these things and make a decision on that basis. The question is one single question, very simple. Do you know my son? And to the son, do you know this person? And if we answer in the affirmative, then we're in. That's what matters. So do we live a life that reflects the knowledge of Jesus Christ? That's the question that we wake up with every day and go to bed with every night. And I hope that you can answer that question in the affirmative as well. And I hope you'll join us next time as we continue our journey through the book of Galatians.